the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, as we uh, head into hour two on this very special day, it is a very special day. It is young David's birthday. He is one year less young today. You are That's less young. That's one way of putting it. Huh? I am less young. You That's are less young it. today. Happy birthday. I am also one year older. You are one year older. Kind of. It's a weird thing to think about. It is it though? It just time marches on, man. My identification says I'm a year older, but I don't feel a year older. You I'm a year feel- older than I was last year at this time, but tomorrow I'll, I'll be a year older than I was at that time last year, too. I am so much older now. I was younger back. Yes. Younger, uh, more yeah, 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 yeah. Well, as, as, so for the audience that may be hearing slightly different music today, amongst the gifts you have been given is full autonomy and sovereignty to play whatever music you want. So that uh, does this come with a written contract? No, like, no, you can just. It's, do I it's, get a royalty in this music? Uh, I, was, <laughs> I was down at the state legislature earlier today, and one of the chairmen of one of the committees was saying, "You know, I really like your music, but why do you give uh, David uh, so much guff?" And I said, "Because he's so wrong." I'm fans of whoever that legislature yeah, is. Yeah, I know. I got to introduce you. I got to introduce you. He likes your music better than mine, I think. I like my music better than yours. Which may have to make me rethink my support for this state legislator. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, we'll uh, continuing. that donation later today. Conti- yeah, right. Continuing to wish you a very happy birthday. Uh, famous people on your birthday. Do you know any who also share your birthday? That share my birthday? I don't. I don't know many people that share my birthday. There's a no. couple Confederate, uh, com- couple Union generals, actually. Oh, good. Yes. The good side. <laughs> uh, Thomas Jefferson's third daughter, King Louis the Thirteenth, who was one king before the sun god, if I'm not mistaken. That was Louis the Fourteenth, right? Um, Gwyneth Paltrow. So you've got that working for you. You're both blonde. <laughs> Uh, oh boy! Comparisons. Uh, <laughs> Isn't she the one that has that company called Gloop that sells nothing? We don't nothing? talk about it. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was. We, just we about can't to actually talk about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, just because of FCC and anyway, we'll we're move. scared of Gloop's lawyers. We'll just move right. Well, it's we're scared of the FCC talking about some of whatever that company's is product. <laughs> now we've created interest. Now we've defeated the purpose. Anyway, continuing a happy birthday wish to you, young David. Less young David. L-Y-D, less young David. That's who you are today. Less young David. Okay. What are you doing to celebrate tonight? I'm going to go a place downtown. Yeah. It's, um, it's in the Roosevelt Building. It's called the Rough Rider, and it's a Teddy Roosevelt-themed restaurant. Oh, how fun. So yeah. what, what, will, what would be... What kinds of things would be at a Teddy Roosevelt? So they have like an Teddy old bears. side of the menu and a new side of the menu. Maxwell Their old House side of the coffee. menu is from the late 1890s and early aughts. And they have things like oysters and chopped up steaks and old school cocktails like Manhattans that I like. <laughs> what about Maxwell House coffee? That was his coffee, as you know. 
That was Teddy Roosevelt's coffee? He came up with the phrase, good to the last drop. I'm going to have to consult the waiter tonight. Yeah, (laughs) good to the last drop. He invented that phrase at the Maxwell House when he was being served their coffee. I think he also invented the Cuba Libre, if I'm not mistaken. I wouldn't be surprised as a Which was the first iteration of a rum and coke. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. And, of course, the teddy bear was named after him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. wonder what else they would have there. I bet there's a lot of bears. There's a there's the new there's new stuff and old stuff. So yeah. I think the new stuff is just kind of whatever. I'll send a lot you know, of pictures. Sprouts and I'll, I'll get pictures or, taken. Or just yes, take yes. them and show them to me. You are invited to I, show up. I know. Yeah. You're very kind. You, you You're know, very kind. You can bust down the door late if you need to. A big theme of mine, as you know, is the culture wars and how we conservatives have, for many many years, uh, too many, in fact. And when I say conservatives. I, w- I don't mean all of all conservatism, but a lot of conservatism uh, and a lot of the Republican Party kind of disdained them, kind of thought of them as the kind of kind of the stuff we don't like to talk about, the kind of stuff, the kind of stuff we don't like to fight over and talk about in polite company or in public. Um, and that reticence, that hesitancy uh, created a vacuum and socialism, Marxism, leftism loves a vacuum. Nature abhors a vacuum causes of anti-nature, which are the causes of Marxism, love a vacuum because they can fill it. And that's what they try to do in all our cultural venues, whether it's entertainment, whether it's news media, whether it's sports, primarily education, of course, and uh, and entertainment. And I stumbled upon this great essay I want to get to in a moment on this that reminded me of, of, of a previous essay. We're going to have Tevi Troy with us a little bit later. He was uh, he's the great cultural historian friend of ours, and he was talking to me about, a few weeks ago about um, he's teaching a college course in New York. He was talking about talking to me about what five great essays should he give his students to help understand American culture and the culture wars and conservatism. And I suggested a few, and one of the ones that I suggested, surprisingly enough, was an essay by Norman Podhoritz. He was, for many years, the editor of uh, Commentary Magazine, and it was an essay of his about Allen Ginsberg, and it's a little rough. Uh, the language is a little rough, because Allen Ginsberg was a little rough. Are you familiar with Allen Ginsberg? He was, the, he was the poet that probably kicked off the whole beat movement in the 1950s and 1960s. Uh, I believe he also had a... The a beat par- mix? Yeah, he, he kind of caused all that, started all that. There's an episode of him on Firing Line with Bill Buckley, actually, and it's one of the weirdest episodes you'll ever see. Well, now you've intrigued me. Yeah, no, I mean, it's one of the weirdest. He starts playing a musical instrument and humming and trying to get a rise out of Buckley. Buckley handles himself, obviously, perfectly. But anyway, Mark Judge, who's who's an essayist in Washington, D.C., he said uh, in this recent essay that um, we'll get you through your children— the night in 1958 that launched the culture war. We'll get you through your children. That was the threat shouted by the poet Allen Ginsberg on a fateful night in 1958. Ginsberg was yelling at Norman Podhoritz, a conservative writer. The confrontation between Ginsberg and Podhoritz is described in Podhoritz's 2001 book, Ex-Friends, falling out with Allen Ginsberg, Lionel and Diana Trilling, Lillian Hellman, Hannah Arendt, and Norman Mailer. The Podhoritz essay called My War with Allen Ginsberg has stayed with me for years, Mark Judge writes, and I was attracted to this because it stayed with me for years, too. I occasionally reread it for its tremendous foresight, 
for its tremendous power, for its tremendous wisdom. It is a first-hand account of a night in America in which the modern culture war began. With elegant and at times very funny observations, Poet Horitz predicted everything that would happen for the next 60 years. How we got to be a country awash in drug abuse, transgenderism, and the medical malpractice that comes with it, mental health problems, anti-Americanism, and atheism. It's the genesis of our modern cultural and political nightmare. Most chilling is the part where Ginsburg, a drug user, sex addict, and member of something that people used to talk more about, the North American Man-Boy Love Association, he yells at Podhoritz, we'll get you through your children. That very thing has indeed happened. It's why Pud Horitz, who's still alive at 93, has never forgiven Ginsburg, who died in 1997. The left did, in fact, get back at square America by corrupting her children. Should be pointed out, not Norman Pud Horitz's children. Norman Pud Horitz, uh, still, as, as I say, alive at 93, was married to Midge Dechter. You may know some of his other children. John Pud Horitz is now the editor at Commentary. He has a syndicated column. All of them conservative, different flavors of conservative, but conservative. The conflict between Podhoritz and Ginsburg was the result of young Podhoritz slamming Ginsburg and his fellow writers. In the 1950s, Ginsburg, Jack Kerouac, William Burroughs, and others formed a liter- literary group that became known as the Beat Generation. The Beats thought America was too conformist. They advocated drug, sex, poetry, alternate spirituality, and long car trips, the kind of thing Tom Wolfe writes about in that wonderful 1987 essay, The Great Relearning. The Beats thought America was too conformist, okay? Uh, The most famous member, Jack Kerouac, wrote a book about their experiences called On the Road. The Beats were hugely influential to the counterculture of the 1960s, despite the fact that Kerouac turned conservative late in life and hated hippies. That is a story for another time, A mutual friend of David Dahl's and mine named Steve sent me some correspondence indeed between Jack Kerouac and William Buckley, of all things. He did have a change of heart, Mr. Kerouac did. But in any event, for young people, it became cool to listen to jazz, do drugs, and aimlessly leave home without much of a plan. The beat influence was still huge when I was in college in the 1980s, Judge writes. It was for me, too. I think Mark and I must be about the same age. I want to pick up on this when we come back. It's a history. It's the origin of the disease right now that faces our culture and the war against our children using it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. We went out with Johnny Cash. We're coming in with the Beach Boys. I know your music. You know my music. And I'm, I'm going to do my best to refrain from editorializing <laughs> about it because you have free reign today. I that have was, free reign today. You, you on your birthday were given free reign. But so far, I've been able to identify it. I think uh, I'm batting a thousand, aren't I? I haven't so missed far, yet. yeah, I'll yeah. have to pull out some of my old jazz standards and really scare to. you. You don't have to. You don't have to. That how familiar because, are you with Judy Garland's repertoire? You, just because you can do it doesn't mean you must do it. I like that logic. Just because somebody can do something does not mean they should do something. There's a whole moral framework around that. Mm-hmm. No, um, seriously, particularly with yeah. scientific research, right? Uh, Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park, right? He has that great line. You spent, how does it go? You spent so much time wondering how you could do this, you didn't stop and ask yourself if you should do this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is the music still playing under me? 
Is it? Yeah. Let's get rid of it. That's okay. Uh, we were talking about the origins of the culture war. This essay by Mark Judge about a Norman Podhoritz essay without regard to Allen Ginsberg in 1958. Uh, Norman Podhoritz saw all this coming in the 50s. What's all this? The stuff we talk about even to this day. Uh, the drugs and what what and 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 the, and the anime and uh, and the aimlessness and the laziness, and the f- fetish for Marxism. Norman Podhort saw all this coming. In several essays in the 1950s, he blasted the beats for, quote, the conviction that any form of rebellion against American culture is admirable, and that Allen Ginsberg, for example, regarded uh, alternative sexual lifestyles, jazz, dope addiction, and vagrancy as outstanding examples of such rebellion. Podhoritz ended one essay with this incredible takedown. This is quoting Norman Podhoritz. Being against what the beat generation stands for has to do with denying the incoherence, denying that incoherence is superior to precision, that ignorance is superior to knowledge, that the exercise of mind and discrimination is a form of death. It has to do with fighting the notion that sordid acts of violence are justifiable as long as they are committed in the name of instinct. It even has to do with fighting the poisonous glorification of the adolescent in American popular culture. It has to do, in other words, with one's attitude towards intelligence itself. Close quote. Pause on that for a moment. You see, again, what I was saying in the first segment. It's the war against nature. It's man the maker. It's the idea that man should overcome nature, manners, discipline, and operate on instinct. Instinct. That's the word that kept coming up in the beat generation. Instinct, which, of course, is nothing more than love of self-will, which is, of course, nothing more than what the animal population does. They operate on instinct. With the few exceptions of animals like Dagny the Wonder Dog, most animals operate on instinct. Humans were supposed to act on reason. Reason was supposed to be something that could elevate man over and above the um, the uh, animal kingdom, or at least the animal element in our mutual kingdom of life. What was that sign you were showing me? Well, um, that was the uh, the Vulcan salute. Yes. Which represents logic. Yes. And where does the Vulcan salute come from? In other words, where did ne- Leonard Nimoy get it? I believe when Leonard Nimoy was growing up, he opened his eyes in the temple when he shouldn't have and saw that sign given by the priest. Yeah, the holy priests, they do it in a certain service over the family, right? It is how the— And the, everybody's the, eyes the, are supposed to be shut, and he uh, <laughs> opened his eyes and took it from there. I don't know if the eyes have to be shut. That's a question for Rabbi Alush. I don't think they do. Do they? It's a good thing we'll see him. Well, I'm confessing ignorance. We'll find out. I don't Mm -hmm. think the eyes have to be shut. I don't think they do. Um, Maybe they had to be at one point. Maybe they're allowed now. Let's mark that down as a question for Rabbi Alush. Anyway, um, Podhoritz, uh, writing about uh, Ginsburg, uh, upset Ginsburg, and it upset Kerouac. So on a fall evening in 1958, the two writers, Kerouac and Ginsburg, called Podhoritz and asked him to come visit them in Ginsburg's apartment and have it out. Quote, as against the law-abiding life I had chosen, 
of a steady job and marriage and children, Podhoritz recalled. Ginsburg conjured up a world of complete freedom from the limits imposed by such grim responsibilities. It was a world that promised endless erotic possibilities together with an expanded consciousness constantly open to new dimensions of being, more adventure, more sex, more intensity, more life. For nearly four hours that Saturday night, 1958, Ginsburg and I had at each other on all these issues. Podhortz argued in favor of George Orwell's idea that normal people living normal lives of faith and freedom and heterosexuality and steady work can have just as much joy, adventure, and thrills as anyone outside the system. In fact, maybe even more, as they would avoid such things as drug addiction, sexual diseases, and perhaps even hell itself. Years later, Podhortz would come across a park in Massachusetts dedicated to the Beats, the Beatniks, the Beat Generation, and make this observation, quote, we were memorializing Ginsburg and Kerouac, thereby further weakening our already tenuous grasp on Orwell's saving fact and abandoning the field once again to these latter-day Pied Pipers and their current successors who never ceased telling our children that the life being lived around them was not worth living at all. Mark Judge, having revisited this essay of Norman Podhortz's, concludes, I often hear fellow conservatives and Christians wonder how America got into its current mess. Our kids backed up in hospitals for mental health issues, pornography everywhere, drug addicts on the streets, the medical mutilation of children in defiance of the sex that God gave us. We'll get you through your children, Ginsburg announced on that pivotal fall night in 1958. And the satanic left has done exactly that. You can use satanic if you want. Um, I look around sometimes and I wonder if in certain neighborhoods, in certain cities, whether they be in um, Texas or whether they be in California, they, what they need probably more than anything is an exorcism. But none of this would have been alien to Marx. You can use Marx, Karl Marx, just as much and look at the trajectory from what he writes about the family and social norms and overcoming nature in the Communist Manifesto all the way up to and including the neo-Marxists of the 1970s where the personal was the feminists of the Marxist era told us, uh, uh, the feminist Marxists told us like Shulamit, Firestone and others, the personal is political. Everything is political, and no vacuum should be left alone. Let's just remember that. It is true. As Spinoza said, nature does abhor a vacuum, and that's why the left and Marxists thrive on them, love them, and we shall create and leave no vacuums behind anymore. The wreckage has been too great. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brett Johnson is a partner at the law firm of Snell & Wilmer, SWLaw.com. They're headquartered here in Phoenix, offices around the country, and he is our constitutional law and elections um, expert, uh, senior fellow, uh, visiting fellow, senior fellow, full fellow, full tenure. I have to apologize to you with that music, Brett. Um, young David, my producer, um, it's his birthday today, and I gave him, as one of many gifts, uh, free reign to play whatever music he wanted. And I promised not to criticize it, though I am uh, exercising bloody tongue syndrome as we speak. 
Yeah, well, I haven't listened to Miami Vice in, uh, since the 80s, so oh, we're good. Oh, okay, all right, well, all right. <laughs> there is so much uh, that I want to talk to you about. Let, let, let's do this. Let's do the intersection a little bit for a moment of election law and constitutional law. There's this interesting thing going on. It didn't make a ton of news. It should have. Um, where there is this request to put a gag order on former President Donald Trump. I think it's in the Georgia case, if I'm not mistaken, right? The federal the federal case out of Georgia. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, no, and it's actually out of the District of Columbia case. Oh, it's the uh, so D.C. The DC case? Okay, it's, a, it's the D.C. case, okay. and um, the, the special prosecutor did move for a gag order, and oh, it yes. kind of went— This is the yeah, Chutkin went, case. Sorry, yes, right. It, it. Yeah, no worries. And it, and it kind of went under the radar because the original— Original motion was filed under seal, and then the court eventually, um, you know, uh, undid the seal and released the brief. And then now, um, uh, President Trump has has responded to it. But basically, when you when you read the the request, it's not like a typical, you know, gag orders. I don't want to say are, are normal in criminal proceedings because they're not. They're they're abnormal. They're they're the rarity in the situation because everybody has the First Amendment rights. But it's it's usually related to. Um, a, a, a criminal type case where there are security um, situations or for potential tainting of, of the jury pool with people trying to basically argue their case out in public and then um, but and but in an in a inappropriate way right that would violate um, the First Amendment and the, and the main thing is that it the, the rule is, is, is very clear it's, it's called the a clear and present danger to the administration of justice which is clear and present danger just think about beyond a reasonable doubt like if if I allow you to speak, it will have an impact on justice. It's, it's basically beyond doubt. So when you read the um, the motion from the government against uh, President Trump for the gag order, it, it reads more like a, a just a litany of social posts by him and others that they're that they're raising these concerns about. Um, but obviously, they they misunderstand that the context of the president, uh, the former president, now also a candidate yeah. for president who's running for office. Yep. And, the, and the main issue is they're, they're attempting to, to target specific witnesses that he can't talk about. The problem is he's running against some of those yeah. folks. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, well, so a couple things are true. First of all, I think it's still true that we consider First Amendment speech most protective of political speech above and beyond any other form of speech. That is what it's supposed to protect most strenuously. Fair enough. A good starting okay. point. Fair enough, and you and you hit two things yeah. on that on that principle here. Yeah. One is it's prior restraint, yep. um, telling somebody that they can't speak before they speak, and then also in this context, content based speech, which says that you cannot talk about X, Y, and Z, right. especially <laughs> right. even though it's in the political realm. Right, right. It's it's a content based yeah. restraint. The second thing that I, you know, I don't know this area uh, uh, of gag order law at all, uh, or very well at all. But when you mentioned that the ten- the standard is clear and present danger, the rest of my First Amendment knowledge comes to the fore, which is that's not generally the test, right, for what is insightful speech, right? That was the test until the late 1960s when it became a different standard where it had to be imminent, uh, Im- imminent action, right? That that's correct, but obviously we're in a different context. Right, right. Yeah, so this is where the judiciary steps in and says the administration of justice is paramount over all other laws, 
and therefore it must take a second seat to some of the First Amendment, but right. but at such a high standard, yes, right? Yes. So that's the balancing test. Um, Brett, this will obviously be litigated. I know that the Trump lawyers have sent their objections to this request by the prosecution, and then that raises the question, does that delay this trial ultimately even further? I mean, we're talking a lot about whether Donald Trump will be convicted before the election, there are going to be a lot of these uh, intercalary challenges along the way. You hear the music. Let me have you answer that on the other side of this break. Can we talk about Sounds good. Okay. Absolutely. Thanks. Brett Johnson is our guest. He's going to join me in just one moment as we uh, enjoy the dulcet tones of, tones of whatever David Dahl is serving up today. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Brett Johnson is our guest from the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm, SWLaw.com. My producer, Brett, as I was mentioning, he's in his 20s. He's not going on his 40s in his cultural tastes. He's going on his, he's going on Methuselah. That's how old he, he acts, um, at least with his musical tastes. All right. So <clears throat> we were talking on the gag order, uh, the gag order um, argument with regard to Donald Trump right now in the D.C. case. They're challenging it. And so there will be, in all of these cases, uh, intermediary challenges. Is that the right phrase? Uh, You're right. Yeah, along the way. Interlocutory. Interlocutory, yeah. Challenges about various orders and and, and discovery and motions. It will ultimately, these will ultimately or these will not ultimately delay the ultimate trial, the final trial on the merits, if they even get to the final trials on the merits, because some of these decisions could not in this case, but in perhaps other motions, uh, dismiss or, or, or dismiss certain elements of certain cases. Are we going to are, are we, are we going to see a trial of Donald Trump before the election? I, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, it just it did the complexity of this case um, by itself is just um, is just too much. Plus, you have quite a few witnesses, and I appreciate those witnesses have already been deposed or interviewed by the government. They haven't necessarily been deposed or interviewed by the defense counsel. Whether or not they have a right to do that is, is a different issue, but having ac- equal access to the information before a witness gets up on the stand. there's a, 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 a People have Brady rights, yeah. which, is, uh, um, which is a major issue, which if there's anything that the government is holding back because it could hurt their case, that's gonna, probably going to be a big issue. This this gag order motion, I doubt that this would impact um, the case. And, and, and strategically, I, I, I'm, 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 I'll be honest with you, I'm having a hard time with my brain is to understand why they're actually going down this road, yeah. because you, usually it, it, um, it's just highlighting possible issues with the judge and the jury base that then President Trump can use for possibly a change of venue, because if, if, if he does go the way, um, it's just going to be concerning. Now, it, it's also so broad, it's just meant to be a shot across the bow of, of hey, can you restrain him? Now, don't let me make sure I'm balanced on this. Yeah. Um, a, as an attorney, do, do I have, would I have great concerns if, if my client was out there talking about the case sure. in certain ways? Absolutely. Sure. So I think from even the defense side that they wish some of the rhetoric may be um, closed down, but that's, again, very, very hard to do in the middle of a political campaign. Yeah, with the, with the most political person in America uh, over the most uh, important political election that would be taking yeah. place in a given year. And the right. odd thing, too, about it, it seems to me, is mm-hmm. we kind of, I don't want to speak for you, a lot of us here kind of know 
that whatever gag order may succeed, may, just arguendo if it succeeds, it's going to apply to one side because we have seen again and again and again these leaks out of the prosecutor's offices all the time. And it's going to represent to a lot of us a fundamental unfairness in the trial. Well, and, and actually, that's pointed out by Trump's lawyers yeah. in in the brief. Um, and and the, if you might remember uh, when I when I talked about the indictment that came out, there's an indictment that just really lays down some, you know, very broad allegations, and then you have your counts below, and that's kind of a standard criminal indictment. This is what we call a speaking indictment, yeah. which was about 35 pages of very specific items. And so the argument from the Trump folks are is that hey, listen, you did a speak, you didn't have to, you did yeah. a speaking indictment that raised all of these issues. Some of them possibly political, definitely some of them covered by the attorney-client privilege, and yet you put that out there, and yet now we're you're asking us to have to be restrained, um, and and I think that that's going to be very very telling going forward, including some of the press conferences that have been done, um, and some of the language that has been used even in the brief. So when they unsealed this brief, it's you know. Uh, you know, President Trump knows. And th- those are things that you don't normally see in a criminal proceeding because you, you have to tie it to something factually. Well, does President Trump really know that this is going to impact, um, you know, jur- juries in, in D.C. or in Georgia, for that matter? Um, so it's it's really kind of interesting how this is. This is really, in my opinion, probably a media ploy um, on, um, on both sides, to be honest with you, about trying to frame what is going to go forward in the trial yeah. and, and also maybe a little confusion with the judge, um, who it's clear that President Trump does not want um, hearing this case. Yeah, 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 yeah. A couple minutes left. Uh, interesting area uh, that has interesting legal implications not everyone thinks about. Talk of government shutdown. If the government shuts down, what kinds of things do someone like you, and from your perspective, look at? Sure. And, and don't get me wrong. So, you know, this is an old, old law back in the 1800s, and it's called the Anti-Deficiency Act, which basically says that, hey, unless the, unless the Congress and the president through the budget process has, has appropriated money, the government's not allowed to spend money. And there's obviously a lot of different provisions where those, there's programs that are, that are excluded from that. Think about Social Security and whatnot. But there's other things about government services where all those, um, you know, food stamps, for example, would be still uh, allocable, but uh, how, how are you going to process those those food stamps because nobody's going to be here? Right. The one that always sticks with me, though, is, yeah. is that th- this is this is really, just so that everybody understands, this isn't that the government is not going to do its work or pay for the services and goods that, that it receives. It's just going to delay it. It's yeah. going to furlough it. So when they say, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, uh, you know, there's a lot of military members, um, also other people who, who are on very short incomes from the government, um, that would would be seriously impacted if it's longer than two or three weeks because that's a full pay period. Yep. But also keep in mind when these people are furloughed, and that's the word furloughed. They're they're not able to do government work. And having been in the government, it was great because you didn't have to do any work during that period of time. You were blocked from your emails, etc. But. I knew that when I came back on, I was getting all that money back, Yeah, right? right. So the argument that I'm not going to get paid, and the reason why I'm not a big fan of uh, government shutdowns is, is that we're giving government employees a free two-week vacation yep. that they'll get paid back for. Yep. So I think that that's sometimes missing in the conversation. Everybody wants to talk about how um, horrible it is, et cetera. But um, you, you have to kind of keep that in mind. Now, don't get me wrong, I mean, it, through history, it has shown that there's economic impacts because that government, the government's the biggest provider or a, a buyer of goods and services in the country. 
that there is an economic impact, but it's um, it, it has to be taken into context and everything with a grain of salt through the parade of horrors that we're hearing about. Well, not only that, but usually these shutdowns are done in the name of saving money. And uh, beyond peradventure, it has been shown again and again, particularly with the last three shutdowns, that it costs extra money to shut it down, uh, shut down the government uh, based on late fees, interest payments, lost revenue, and that sort of thing. It adds billions to the deficit, to the debt. That, that's exactly right. And also with government contracting, yep. right? So yep. that, most of these people, uh, people are servicing the government or private enterprises, a lot of them small businesses. You get into it because the appropriation's not there. Yep. The government worker has, or the government contractor has to go away. But when they come back, they get what's called a, uh, an equitable adjustment, yep. and they're able to extend out their time frames and redo basically a lot of the different contracts, yep. and that does increase the, um, the amount of monies that the government is spending for sure. Yeah. Cures are sometimes worse, as, worse than the disease in these cases. Exactly. Yeah. Brett, it's good catching up with you. A little bit of an extended yeah. segment here. Thank you so much for everything. No problem. Thank you, Seth. And thanks for putting up with David Dahl's birthday as well and <laughs> the cultural fallout that that, uh, the cultural downwash that uh, uh, will affect the law firm of uh, Snell and Wilmer. <laughs> All right. Brett Johnson has been our guest. I'll be right back. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, you like that Hawaii Five O song on the way out, huh? That was, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Yeah, you like that. Do you know who that was? Just now? Yes. Karen Carpenter. Okay, good. I was a little concerned that perhaps you didn't know. The, how the, How would I not? I, I was concerned that perhaps that cultural how, zeitgeist how, passed you are by. You, are you new here? Uh, no, I've been do you, here a little. Do you, do you think that this years? finely tuned ear cannot tell tell you who Karen Carpenter is? No, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Hawaii Five O. Oh, great show! Original. Uh, James MacArthur played Dano, right? Did you uh, the in, the old one we're talking mm-hmm. about? And Jack Lord, yeah. You know who James MacArthur Dano's mother in real life was? No, Helen Hayes. I love teaching you stuff. Okay, I love teaching you stuff. I'm still confused. Why? Because I don't know who Helen Hayes is. Do oh, I? we didn't want to hear that. We didn't want to hear that. You'll recognize her the moment you look her up. You'll Uh-oh. recognize her the moment okay. you look her up. Um, and of course, the trumpet on uh, Hawaii Five O is the great Bud Brisbois, formerly of the Wrecking Crew, who lived here in Arizona till his uh, dying day. Well, it's a great theme. It's a it's a very good theme. Yeah, yeah. Let me put in a word for our sponsors at Why Refi, a great company with a great theme of a great investment in a secure and collateralized portfolio that delivers a very high interest rate and not correlated. The investment is not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. Um, It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, and no penalty if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio. And YRUFI is a due diligence approved firm where you can earn, as I say, up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. It's the word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI24, 888-YREFI24. Tevi Troy is going to join us, uh, cultural and presidential historian, for the next hour. And uh, he's going to be in town in a couple weeks doing a debate. So I think we might have him do the whole show with us when he's in town. That'll be fun. He's a obviously dear old friend. And we're going to talk about Troy triple hour. Yeah. Tevi 
Troy t- Triple Hour. I, qu- I was quoting him yesterday, wasn't I? Yeah. On yeah. Uh, why he doesn't like summer camp. And what was the analogy? Do you remember? Because there's no freedom, right? But why was I saying that? Oh, it's like college, maybe? It's <laughs> oh, like a Maoist yeah. indoctrination Well, we were camp. talking about uh, college admission rates, yes. That's what it was, yeah. Philosophy of Maoism at summer camps and colleges. But in summer camps, you have no freedom, so it's like a gulag. Whereas in colleges, you have the Maoist philosophy, but anything goes. Maybe I'll bring that up with him, too. Don't go away. A lot more fun coming right up. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.